Welcome to The Bright Side, a podcast brought to you by Bristol Bright Futures at the University of Bristol. By delving into the career paths of professionals, we highlight the tools needed for successful applications and interviews so you can unlock your bright future. In this episode, Em and Kean talk with Zoe Porter, the recent senior editor for BBC World News. They explore a variety of topics such as transitioning between degrees, progressing from freelance journalism into senior editorial roles within the BBC, and discuss the skills and qualities that Zoe developed whilst covering major stories such as 9-11 and the Royal Weddings. They also ask questions from our listeners and a tricky out-of-the-box interview question. As always, we begin by asking our guests to introduce themselves. Yes, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Uh, It's a real pleasure to chat to you and take me back to my Bristol days. My name is Zoe Porter. Um, I was a student at Bristol University um, many years ago. I I won't tell you when. Um, I did a politics and philosophy degree and and then I went on to do a postgrad at UWE in broadcast journalism. Um, And since then... I've been working for the BBC, so I've had a career of of more than 25 years in the BBC, Um, although very recently uh, I have left and I'm actually um, between jobs at the moment and deciding what to do uh, in the next stage of my life. Well, hi Zoe, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. Um, I think a great place to kick off would be to ask you a pretty typical interview question which is, what was it initially that made you decide to pursue a career in journalism? And whether you feel that there are any things that students should avoid when answering this question? So I do remember getting to my third year at Bristol and thinking, uh, I really need to start deciding what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Um, I've had a lovely time at Bristol University doing politics and philosophy. Um, but what next? And I don't think at that stage I was necessarily thinking, what am I going to do as a career? It was more, what am I going to do when I leave? Um, so I started to look around at a few things, as I guess many people do. I did think about law. I actually tried a, a mini pupillage um, when you can go and work with a, a QC for a couple of weeks. And I also looked at some jobs in in publishing, um, but but nothing completely clicked for me. Uh, and so I really had to sit myself down and think, what is it that is going to get me up in the morning every day? Um, and the more I thought about it, I, I realized that I just had a fascination with events in the world. I'd always followed news events and my, my family was quite political and we always used to discuss everything, you know, around the supper table, um, and uh, follow current affairs and I realised that I actually wanted to better understand what was going on in the world. I also like talking to people and hearing their stories. Uh, I like writing Um, and I wanted to do a job that mattered, that had an impact um, and sort of give people information that was useful and interesting. Um, And I was literally walking up White Ladies Road one day and past the BBC and it just hit me that that was where I'd really like to to work. Uh, and I don't think I, I knew I wanted to be a journalist at that point. It was much more drawn to the whole world of broadcasting and um, yeah, being part of that organisation. Uh, and I, I don't think I 
I don't think I could have imagined at that point that I was going to be there for 28 years, but definitely felt the pull when I was when I was still um, at uni. So you also asked what things you think students should avoid when when being asked this question in an interview. Um, I don't think there's ever really a right or wrong answer in an interview. I think most people are just looking for um, a genuine interest um, and evidence of that. So I'd like to see somebody uh, either talking about some journalism that they've seen or read um, that somehow inspired them, sparked an interest. Perhaps they might talk about a, a reporter or a news correspondent or a writer who um, who they were particularly interested in, who they thought um, got under the skin of a story. Uh, or um, even better, if someone could, could actually give some evidence of journalism that, that they had done. Um, the student journalism was fine, yeah, anything, you know, writing their own blog, something on social media. So some evidence, I think. Uh, one personal bugbear that I would just uh, re just like to, to mention. So I quite often have been hiring people for um, entry-level journalism jobs or people who've only got a couple of years' experience. And if I'm sitting in the interview and ask you, you know, what it is about this particular job that you, that uh, appeals to you, why you've applied for this job, um, and somebody tells me about this great career they want as a presenter or as a TV reporter, and actually the job that they're applying for at the moment is a researcher or um uh, an entry-level journalist, then please do remember that that's the job that you're going to be expected to do. So by all means, think big. Um, by all means, say that's what you want to go on to, but also you need to convince the interviewer that this is the job you want now. So I suppose it's a bit about don't run before you can walk. That definitely sounds like something for all students to bear in mind when applying for job roles. If we um, jump back to your university days, um, you've obviously mentioned about taking politics and philosophy at Uni of Bristol um, and also your diploma in journalism at UWE. How do you think that these courses compared and how did they set you up for the career journey that you have had? Yeah, so so um, obviously my undergraduate degree at Bristol uh, was a purely academic uh, degree um, and although um, it was relevant in some ways to journalism because there was quite a lot of political theory and international relations in my polit in the politics uh, part of the course um, I think probably what was more important was what more important than what I learned was was how how I was learning um, and you know, learning how to research um, different sources, to be analytical, to understand different theories and perspectives, uh, how to summarize arguments well, uh, you know, write a long essay. All of those things are just as relevant, I think, as the actual information. So, learning those skills, incredibly important, independent thinking, 
philosophy good for thinking outside the box um, and logic. And I, but I'd say really any arts or social science degree would offer a great basis for journalism if those are things that appeal to you. Um, and then leaving Bristol, stepping into UWE was quite extraordinary because it was like it was literally like stepping into a different world from the from the first moment I got there I mean even before I got there we had to we had to learn how to drive I couldn't drive by that point um I had to learn how to type up to I think it was 80 or 100 words a minute and I had to learn how to do shorthand even before I'd started the course so I had to have those three qualifications which were all of course entirely uh, practical um and then the first assignment we got when I arrived at UE, I can remember we were sent out with a radio tape recorder, which in those days was was sort of a box like a big, it's like a big old telly almost, really heavy box with two uh, with reel to reel tape in it that you th- you threaded through, um, put it over your shoulder, and uh, a microphone, and we were sent out to do. Vox Pops, so questioning the general public on a, on a topic. And uh, we were told we had to get out of the part of Bristol we knew, which was obviously where the university was. I don't think I'd stepped a lot further than um, Cotton or Redland in my three years at Bristol. And we were sent down to Fish Ponds, uh, which you may not have even heard of, but that is part of Bristol. Um, and I can't, I can't even remember what we had to ask people, but it was a really simple question like, what's your favourite supermarket and why? Um, but we had to go approach people with our microphone and um, ask this question and then go back and edit it back in the studio. Um, and it was just uh, totally terrifying and exhilarating. <laughs> at the same time uh totally different world uh from from the one i'd um been in at, at, at uni um but i loved it really from the from the minute i started doing it uh so it was no looking back and we learned not just radio and tv production skills um you know, the interviewing uh, and tape editing and so on, but also lots of useful theories such as media law and court reporting and public affairs, um, which basically set you up for for going out into into the into the world and, and picking up freelance shifts. So it was incredibly good practical training um, to do, and uh, I enjoyed both. But I think when I started my postgrad that was when I found yeah found out what I was good at and what I enjoyed and and knew that I was going to stick at it. Yeah so this leads quite nicely on to our next question which is when you were at university did you take part in any work experience or internships that you felt were especially helpful for sort of forming the practical skills that you needed for the career path that you wanted to go down? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely different ways of of, of getting into um, into journalism. The same same as with a lot of professions. If you if you can get a qualification, um, I think it, it it that's going to help when you're coming up against a lot of other people. Uh, um, 
and I think especially if it's a there's a there's something called the National Council for the Training of Journalists um, who endorse some of these postgrad courses, um, and I think you know that that helps because you know then if if you're if you're looking to hire that those people have have done all the all the relevant um, areas of training. So uh, if if you can, if you're lucky enough to get on a course, if you can afford to do another course, um, or you know, I, I would I would recommend it. But of course, not everyone can do that, and um, by all means, not everyone does does do uh, uh, training in in journalism. Um, there are lots of different different routes in. Um, I also did do a bit of um, I did a bit of journalism at university. I did a few bits and bobs for Epigram. So I was actually also thinking about how to get some work experience when I was applying for my postgrad diploma. Um, and I didn't know anybody in the industry. I didn't have any contacts. Uh, I didn't have family or or friends working in um in journalism or broadcasting so I actually just contacted the editor of the local radio station uh, I think I just went and knocked on the door one day and, and asked to speak to them uh, and I was lucky they were extremely nice and invited me in for the day and I spent a day um, in the newsroom and I was sent out on a story with a reporter um, I can still remember it very clearly because it was the day that some animal rights activists put a small bomb, a small explosion under the car of someone who worked at the vet school in Bristol. And that happened the morning I went and did my day's work experience. And I went out with a reporter who was covering the story and we spoke to the police and, and local people asked what they'd seen and so on. And she came back and put together a report for the lunchtime news and, um, it, you know, it was fun. It was fantastic to to see that all done firsthand. And when I went for my interviews, of course, I had that experience that I could talk about. So um, definitely worth just reaching out um, and trying to trying to get into anywhere for um, for some work experience, even if it's just a day or two, because it will, yeah, it will give you give you a taste of it, and also. Um, give you some examples to talk about if you get to an interview or a, a, you know a day's recruitment. So we know that after university you worked for some time as a freelance journalist. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about what this role involved and how you went about securing this role? Yeah so as part of my course uh, as part of the diploma um, we were given several weeks work placements at local stations. Um, and I really would advise if, if you are doing some kind of official training, finding out what, what work placements you get, because it's, you know, that is where you'll make your contacts and, um, you know, you'll pick up um, phone numbers and email addresses of people that you can then reach out to later. So um, definitely worth, uh yeah looking looking for any kind of course that does have work placement so I did mine mine was at Radio Bristol I did a couple of weeks during the course and then I went back for the last two weeks of my diploma and did another fortnight um with Radio Bristol and that that's your opportunity to shine 
if if you get that you need to make yourself in those two weeks make yourself as as trusted and 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 as invaluable as you possibly can um i think you need to you know offer to do everything and anything uh without being annoying but uh you know to, if, if you can if you can start um proving to them to to, to the company that you're with how useful you are then that's going to stand you in really good stead so i was actually offering to do um evening shifts to answer the phones uh just on the kind of late night phone in so i did that quite a lot and and also in local radio um the presenters in one studio and the uh they have a sort of a sound desk pa next door and i I really enjoyed doing driving the desk and I was quite good at it. And so I was also able to pick up some, some freelance shifts doing that. Um, and I was able to do this alongside my, my postgrad. So by the time I came back from my second placement, uh, I really knew a lot of people there. I understood how the studios worked, how the programs were put together um, and, and was then offered quite a lot of, uh, reporting. I, I did that for about six months, report freelancing at, at Radio Bristol, um, which was a brilliant experience. And then by the time some jobs came up a few months later, I was in a good position to to apply for them. So a definite main point that should be taken out of it is that networking is very important in journalism when coming up the roles. Also, just speaking about roles, could you please tell us a bit more about the roles that you have held throughout your career and how these roles have differed? Yeah, so I've talked quite a lot about um, starting in, in local radio. Uh, so my first job was as, as, as a reporter, broadcast journalist in local radio. And that was fantastically good fun. We spent I spent my time... Um, driving around the county in a branded radio car which was which was a car that had an enormous aerial on the roof um which went up and down and so one of the first things i had to do was learn how to park this car safely and raise the aerial which went up several hundred feet um and then uh activate it so that I could broadcast live in this is all the days before 3g 4g 5g um broadcasting quality uh live on air um so I used to you know set off very early in the morning because the breakfast program on radio is that is your is one of your key key shows um drive somewhere obscure <laughs> uh, outside Bristol clutching my a to z again the day before we had sat, days before we had sat nav um, and I would get there and park up. Um, you know, it could be anything. It could be it could be a murder that had happened in part of Bristol, or I might be going to interview um, someone who was a farmer who uh, was showing in the local um, agriculture show, or I might be going to uh, speak to Cameron Balloons, who were you know big. Uh, air but hot air balloon company um so it could be any kind of story and you often didn't know until you arrived on the day and I can particularly remember one day uh in the middle of winter going out in the pitch black and this the, the area would not go up 
on the roof of the the car and so I had to clamber um clamber onto the roof and stood there in the freezing a freezing morning pitch black physically pulling this aerial uh out of the top of the car trying to get it to go up and before I could do my live broadcast so yeah it really wasn't it really wasn't glamorous um but it, it was good fun um so that was that was radio bristol um you you could be either going out and doing um yeah live broadcasting like that or uh putting together news pieces interviewing people um and putting together reports that were that were um put out you know on the lunchtime news or the or the breakfast news uh or the drive time um program so um i think in i, I worked at radio bristol for five years and during that time, um, I must have been to every corner of the county, and um, yeah, from the most obscure uh, jobs. I remember interviewing, having to climb a tree to interview uh, an environmental protester who was objecting to a new Tesco being built on the outskirts of Bristol. Climbing the, the tree with my live broadcast kit. <laughs> uh, and doing that interview um live on the breakfast program as well so loads of different things so um yes I was there for for five years I also spent during that time I went down to Somerset Sound and did six months there as a radio presenter um and when I came back to Bristol I was doing the lunchtime news hour on the local radio station um and I was also head of news programs at that point. So I was running the team of journalists in the newsroom at Radio Bristol, which was all great fun. And probably, yeah, probably the most fun uh, you could have really in journalism, working in local radio, I'd absolutely recommend it as a, as a brilliant starting point, regional news. Um, but I did have, uh, I did really want to get into network um, national newsroom. And so I moved up to London. I got a job in London um, and actually went went to work on the launch of News 24, which was the BBC's first uh, domestic TV news channel. It's now, it's now called the BBC News Channel, but it was News 24 when it launched. And I was hired to do that as, a, as, a, as an SJ, a senior journalist. So my job there was to output the TV news program, uh, which was obviously live and 24 hours a day. Um, and I would output large, large chunk. So you'd be on shift for, um, uh, eight, eight or 10 hours and you'd be building the program. So deciding what items to put in, uh, briefing your presenter, deciding which guests to book, um, putting a program together and then going into the gallery and, and outputting, um, that that hour or half hour depending on the time of day um and it sometimes was um the middle of the night it sometimes was daytime you had to be uh ready to to do any any shift really um and uh i did that for a couple of years and then i got a promotion to an assist to assistant editor on the news channel so i wasn't outputting anymore but i was in charge of the team um running the output and we were, and I was deciding, deciding uh, which stories we were going to cover and how, how much we were going to do on them, 
uh, when we were going to roll on a big story and um, who we were going to speak to and so on. So uh, that was that was my time on the news channel. After that, I moved to BBC Breakfast, where I got a job as the deputy editor of Breakfast on BBC One, where I had amazing freedom to make the breakfast program into something new at the time it was it was a bit dry and it was trailing behind ITV uh, in the ratings and um, so I was tasked with coming up with a new format uh, and kind of refreshing the show which um, which we did over a few years t- took a bit of t- bit of time to to change the way we worked the type of stories we covered um, but we massively increased the audience and um, that was incredibly satisfying to to get that program um, as the most watched breakfast show uh, in Britain, uh, which it still is, I'm pleased to say, despite the GMB uh, snapping at its heels now. Um, and I worked there with some brilliant presenters. Um, Sophie Rayworth and Jeremy Bowen were the, my first presenters and then... Um, Dermot Murnahan and Natasha Kaplinsky and then Sean Williams and Bill Turnbull. So uh, worked with some real pros and lots of incredibly talented journalists as well um, and reporters. So that was great fun. Um, you had to get up incredibly early. I would get up at 3.50 uh, to get to get into the office um, before, before we went on air. There'd obviously been a team in all night working on the show um uh but we would come in and decide exactly what it was going to look and sound like check all the scripts um check all the guests see what else we needed to chase that was moving to get it on uh and then we would go on air for three hours and we had yeah i met loads of loads of interesting people some of the bbc's biggest talent and also loads of famous interesting politicians celebrities musicians so that was that was a um a fabulous job and I and I you know I loved it um and then my most recent job which uh, I've been doing for the last eight or nine years um which was probably the most demanding and challenging actually of all of them was a senior editor on, on BBC World News which is the international tv news channel that the bbc runs you can't you can't watch it in britain in the uk um but it is broadcast around the world and it's commercially a commercially funded part of the bbc although as a journalist you you still work for for news so you're still in the same the same department um but i had to get my my head around uh international news which we had done a bit of on on breakfast but uh suddenly a whole new world understanding and being able to uh react to to an international crisis anywhere in the world so i had a lot a lot to learn um when i took on that job uh and yeah it's it's also a 24 7 channel um so again if if this is a career that, that appeals to you um, there are many jobs where uh, you get a nice nine to five life in journalism. Um, 
certainly not in broadcast journalism. Uh, and again, it's um, yeah, it's about it's about how you how you manage that with your with your life and, and finding a way to make it work. I must say, watching BBC News, uh, BBC World News, in fact, in Kenya, is really a staple for my family every morning. And you've done an amazing job with the channel. We really just enjoy watching it on a daily basis, really. Um, now, just if we move off the topic, um, move on to the topic, sorry, um, of advice for students hoping to pursue a career in journalism. In a world where it's increasingly difficult for students to move straight into a job upon graduating from university, what do you think students can do to set themselves apart um, in addition to getting relevant work experience? There's so much you can do just from your own bedroom. I mean, social media now, you can reach out to almost to almost anybody. You can, you can um, do journalism from literally from sitting in your bedroom. Um, so I would suggest uh, reaching out to people, um, networking, perhaps trying to write if that's something that appeals to you. And, you know, you don't need to be published so much as just get something out there, you know, write your own blog, use your university um, societies, anything that's that's available to you. Um, and just make a start because what, what a recruiter is going to be looking for is that you've, that you've followed your passion and you've done what you can. Um, and they're not going to, you know, if, you, if your cousin works at, at ITN and, and has got you three days work experience there, um, that doesn't actually show that, that you're committed to journalism. Um, you know, much better that you've perhaps found an issue locally that you're interested in or, um, you know, something that affects student life and done something about that, perhaps written or, or put together a, a little, a little piece, um, anything really just, just go and have a, have a go and try and have some evidence that shows that interest and commitment. And the other thing is the networking that, that we talked about. And I think networking sounds, it, it sounds sort of scary and it sounds like something that people do when they've been working in the business for, for many years. And perhaps it sounds like, you know, something that um, you, you don't know how to approach. And so again, uh, I would say just start small. Just think about who you do know. Um, you know, perhaps through clubs and societies or, you know, sport, any sport you do. Um, friends of your parents, friends of your auntie. Uh, is there anybody that you know who works in the industry you're interested in? Um, and if there is, uh, reach out to them. Don't expect them to find you a job because no one's going to do that. But I would say most people will be flattered if you reach out and ask for advice or ask, ask for help, you know, say, how can I, how do I get a day work experience? Um, and I do think if you, if you do, if you do attempt that, if you reach out to 30 people, perhaps a couple of them will come up with something that's really useful. So uh, it, it's about giving it a go and don't think that networking 
is something that you know only applies to people in the business in the industry because any anyone can network it's just about reaching out to people very interesting uh thank you i think that's something that many potential journalists listening to this show will definitely need to think about also we um you mentioned that bit previously you worked um in recruitment for employees at graduate level Are there any particular memorable candidates that you interviewed and what made them stand out? I mean, I think when I got my first job, I will tell you about somebody. It's a slightly different answer. It's not quite the question you asked me. But when I got my first job at Radio Bristol, I was hired at the same time um, as another guy uh, who was uh, a New Zealander, who's still a good friend of mine, actually. Um, And he had left New Zealand, uh, arrived in Britain with, I think he had a a little backpack um, with a few changes of clothes in it. And he decided he was going to be a journalist. And he also decided he was going to go and learn how to speak French fluently. Um, And I don't quite know how he got to the interview. He must have done something in his past. Um, But... I think what they were so impressed by was the fact that he basically had just taken a punt on it and was completely committed. He traveled across the world, said, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and, and then made it happen. And he did that. He was very successful in the BBC. Uh, and then he went and he just got up one day and went to live in France without being able to speak a word of French and, um, ended up working for a a French broadcaster. Um, and 10 years later was also, fluent in French and so I tell you that story about him because he didn't come with anything special but I think his complete energy and enthusiasm and commitment just won everyone over and I can I do remember coming out of the interview uh, or being told that I got the job and 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 this guy had also got one of the the jobs and and the uh, the recruiter said to me, um, you know, you were great. We knew that you could do the job and we just loved it. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes you can probably wing it a bit if, as long as you show uh, that, that you've got that spark. Um, and that probably applies in, in quite a lot of industries. Yeah, definitely. Passion is something that is something every, every recruiter wants and every, every company needs, to be honest. As a, when you were a student, that's, um, was, would there be anything that you would have wanted to know? I think I was most surprised in the world of work and certainly in journalism. I don't know how much this applies to other industries um, about how competitive it is at every stage and that just by working hard and doing the job really well wasn't always enough. And I think I, I left uh, education having been probably a bit of a swatty student, um, certainly when I, when I was younger, uh, and this belief that if I worked really hard, I would, I would do really well, and people would notice that I worked really hard and I was good at it. Um, and I think that when you get into the world of work, it, that, that's no longer enough. Uh, you you also need to um, 
you need to prove yourself over and over again, <laughs> almost on a daily basis. Um, and also nobody is going to give you that leg up and that help onto the next level um, without you asking, asking them or uh, without proving yourself. So I think that was probably the one thing that was, it was the biggest, not shock, but adjustment to how you operate in the workplace as opposed to just being a good student at school or college where if you do if you do work hard you get the results and on that on that point actually uh finding yourself a mentor or finding yourself um you know if you find a manager that you like when you start out having a good relationship with them um that, that will really help you in your career because people do want to support uh, others. Um, they're often too busy to think about it. But I think if as a young, a young journalist coming into the field, um, I mean, one of the things I always really loved doing was uh, working with, with, you know, young journalists coming in um, offering them time I mentored I've mentored a lot of people um coaching coaching them when they're applying for jobs um and supporting them in their role and managers will do that but don't expect it without asking and without building a good relationship with them first uh and and sort of showing them what what you can do I think if you if you work hard for someone they'll often have your back and uh you know be there for you when you're trying to take the next step I think that's all great advice for journalism students and students from all disciplines alike um I think that now is sort of the perfect time to jump to some of our the questions from our members um, the first question that we have is, how do you deal with the ongoing pressure that you experience in your job? So I think it helps if you're able to detach yourself a bit from the stories you're telling, because a lot of the time you're telling pretty awful news. Um, and so I think, I mean, that was one of the one of the reasons why covering the COVID outbreak was actually incredibly hard because you were not only we were not only reporting on it, we were also living through it. So suddenly, um, you know, one of the biggest stories of our lifetime um, was actually happening to us, and you had to approach it in a different way because most of the time you're able, uh, well, I was able to uh, sort of section off my thoughts and just deal with whatever was happening as as a story and a job and often I wouldn't even think about it until I got home um you know quite quite what had happened and unfolded I would just just deal with the facts as they came in the biggest story I was ever involved with or certainly it was the biggest at the time um was was 9-11 and I can still remember sitting in the newsroom uh and looking up I was actually eating a sandwich at the time because I was working on on BBC Breakfast and we weren't on air because it was uh, mid-morning and looking up and see, and seeing this horror unfolding um, on the news channel and I was asked to get on the next plane to New York um, 
And so I had to go home and pack my bag in about 20 minutes and find my passport and get to the airport um, where I met uh, one of our reporters who was who was going out for breakfast and Jeremy Bowen, who was our presenter. And the idea was that we would all fly out to New York as soon as we could. Uh, and we sat in this airport. Um, we sat in the airport for 24 hours <laughs> while every flight was cancelled one after another. Um, and then eventually we had to come home because nothing, there were no, no flights were going into New York at that point. Uh, and it was the most surreal experience because it was yeah, one of the biggest stories that had ever happened in my lifetime. And I'd sat in an airport trying to get on an aeroplane um, for the first 24 hours of it, uh, rather than being in the newsroom. So, so that was a weird one. Um, I think the, you know, working in, in rolling news, you've just got to be incredibly calm um, when everything around you is going mad. And I think that was probably what worked for me and why I was able to do it because um, as everything was breaking around me most days in the newsroom, um, I was able to just take a deep breath and tell people what to do and make decisions um, and sort of stay slightly detached, as I explained. Um, and that, that I think was how, how I dealt with it. And that, that just works for some people. That's something I've always been able to do. Um, and perhaps just, you know, suit some, some personalities, uh, more than others, but yeah. I mean, wow. It's really interesting to hear about your involvement in the, the coverage of 9-11. I can imagine that it, that it was an especially stressful time. And I guess it's important to appreciate that it takes a certain ability to remain collected and calm during situations like that and that the skill in being able to do so sounds like an important part of working for a national news network. Um, if we move on to our second question from one of our members, it is, can you tell us about a time when you were especially proud of a piece or story that you were involved in at the BBC? Well, as an editor, I haven't really been directly responsible for specific stories, but I've covered a lot of programs uh i'll run a lot of programs sorry um and specials and so um oh goodness um i'm just going to say something that that i did recently probably in, in the last in the last few years um because it was it was great fun and um uh got me out of the office um and was our, this was our coverage of of harry and Meghan's wedding um, which uh, I was I was overseeing, um, but that you know that's doing any any program like that. That's a big outside broadcast. Um, there's a lot of logistics involved, huge amount of planning ahead um, of it. Lo lots of conversations with the palace that uh, take place to ensure the BBC can can get on site, um, get a good location. Uh, has access to everything it needs. And so um, what you see, you know, what you might see on the day is just the, the final bit of work. And actually it's, it's months of, of planning and negotiation that goes into it ahead of that. 
and then obviously you need to book all your guests, the amount of permits we had to get to, to broadcast from Windsor was extraordinary. Everybody had to be vetted by the police who went in um, and have special uh, special dispensation um, permits to, 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 to do anything. Uh, and yeah, and then we were live on air for about five days before the wedding when, when the whole of Windsor was uh, absolutely swamped with tourists. Uh, and there was a lot of excitement. Um, and then on the day itself, uh, obviously, the, the wedding, we, we broadcast live uh, and the follow-up. So something like that um, is, is diff- very different from a breaking news story when you've got to just respond to what's happening. Um, but it's also very rewarding because, you know, you put in a lot of work up front and then if it all goes smoothly and looks beautiful, um and yeah the guests really enjoy being part of it and you get a lot of good feedback you know broadcasting that to uh, Asia and America um we we got a lot of uh, a big response from our audience out there who who absolutely love anything um to do with the royals I don't know if they still do but they did then um and yeah that was that that was rewarding in a different sort of way to, to all the heavy breaking news that, that I've done through my career. That sounds really interesting. Um, I actually remember watching um, the wedding. I was actually in Kenya at that time, uh, watching it off BBC World News. Um, so, Great. Zoe, yeah. So, Zoe, uh, f- the final question before we end this interview, which we like to ask all our guests, um, it's, a real, it's a real out-of-the-box question. And the question is, what is the best gift that you've ever received and why? When I, when I ask a question like this in an interview, I always tell people to take their time and then to just say the first thing that came into their head because it might not be the best, but it's the most memorable. So I'm going to say it is a slight luxury item I have and it's a cashmere kind of jumper long jumper thing um and I've absolutely lived in it for the last year working from home and it was a present from my husband who's extremely good at buying me gifts and always seems to know what I want before I want it so I'm very lucky um and it was a gift uh yeah from given with love that sounds great um well Zoe it's actually it's been a pleasure talking to you today and your your career and your journey in journalism has been really insightful so thank you so much for coming onto this show and thank you for giving us your time um and your experience really yeah so thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today it's been fascinating to hear about your involvement in the coverage of huge stories such as 9-11 and you know royal weddings um all of the advice that you've given to us and our members today will be greatly appreciated so thank you very much for your time thank you for having me we hope you enjoyed this episode of the bright side for more information about our guests or to get in touch head to Bristol Bright Futures on Instagram or Facebook 
or search our website. We would love you to share the podcast with your friends or leave us some feedback. Presenters were M. Sharman and Kian Patel. The music was kindly provided by Jake Dufton.